somebody next to you, isn't the Lord good? Just say, hey, isn't the Lord good? Thank you, worship team. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And I, oh, I was going to, I'm going to borrow one of these mics. Will you walk this around for me? I'm going to, I meant to grab one and I want to get, I think it, it might be this one. There it is. Uh, I want to get your response. So this is going to be participation time, okay? And so I, I don't normally do this, as you know. But uh, what I want to do is I just want to ask everybody a question, and I'm, I want you to give us your answer, and I want you to speak into the mic. But here's the question. What is love in action? Just raise your hand if you've got an answer. What is love in action? Here we go. Deronda's got her hand raised. Be thinking about it. Showing Jesus' love to each other. There you go. That's a good one. Here we go. Being patient with people when we feel frustrated. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Don't be shy. That might don't bite, I promise. What is love in action? Seeing a need and feeling it. That's it, yes. So, anybody else? There you go, got another one? Everybody's getting there. It's like, yes, I got one now. Praying for one another. That is correct. Sonia has one up here. Helping take care of the sick. Correct, yes. Anybody else? So, these are all correct. Uh, love, uh, love and action is all of these things. So here's my question. Why do we say I love you? Because I love you is just a lot of words, right? I mean, I know there's meaning to it, and I'm not, but I'm not getting to that yet. But we say I love you, right? We'll say, well, I love you. Have you ever said I love you to somebody and you didn't mean it? Well, I love you because Jesus makes me love you, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I mean, is anybody, has anybody ever been like that? You know, well, I only love you because, you know, you say I love you and then you turn around and you're just, you're saying all kinds of things about them behind their back, you know. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? I love you, it's an empty phrase, okay, without a demonstration of commitment and a willingness to sacrifice with some type of action, so, have you ever heard the phrase, and I, we probably, most of us have heard this, actions speak louder than words? You ever heard that? So, you can find this playing out, this phrase playing out in most of Scripture, if not all of Scripture. The Apostle John clearly indicated throughout his writings that love and obedience, uh, that would be an attitude, that's what we talked about 
last week, and then action is what we're talking about this week, must go hand in hand. He said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments, and his commands are not burdensome. And then James reminds us of this in James chapter 2, verse 26. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You see, God doesn't give commands without expecting our obedience. Amen? God doesn't give us commands with, without expecting our obedience. He wants us to obey what he is telling us to do. The Great Commission is no exception. God didn't just tell us to go and make disciples and then just hope that we might do it someday. When he told us to go and make disciples, he meant for us to follow what he was telling us to do. Amen? So we know from Scripture that just before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus gave his disciples specific instructions. It's found in Acts 1.8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, these are the last words of Christ. We need to listen and obey. All Christians and all congregations are to be involved in some type of ministry in their locality. That would be Jerusalem. And then in their country, that would be Judea. Neighboring countries like Mexico and, and, and uh, uh, Canada. That would be Samaria. And in the spiritual frontiers of this earth. That would be the ends of the earth. This ministry is to happen simultaneously. We don't have to win everyone at home before we step out of our own neighborhood. <coughs> Excuse me. Our own neighborhoods. So. You know, we read, if you read throughout Acts chapter, or Acts, if you read throughout the, the book of Acts, you see where the church is beginning. You see where it's starting. Churches are being planted. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're taking care of the needs of all the people. They're doing all these things. And you know, actions of the Jerusalem church, they didn't show it. They experienced God's power. Now, I want you to hear me out as revealed in Acts chapter 2, but they didn't move very far out of their cultural comfort zone. On the day of Pentecost, people from all over the world, they heard the gospel, but outside of that preliminary evangelistic thrust, the Jerusalem church did little to push the gospel outside the limits of its own city. Don Richardson said this, he said, Hundreds of millions of Christians think that Luke's Acts of the Apostles rec records the 12 apostles obedient to the Great Commission. Actually, it records their reluctance to obey it. Now, he also notes that they quickly evangelized Jerusalem at Pentecost and in the days that immediately followed so that Acts 5.28 records the apostles' critics complaining. You, they said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Still, Richardson adds this. He says, 25% of the book of Acts was already history. And as far as the record shows, they were not even making plans to obey the rest of Jesus' command. 
Now, this Jerusalem congregation, they were on the verge of the us for and no more theory until the Jerusalem lay people went out and planted a church in Antioch. And when the Jerusalem church heard about it, they convened a council. If this council had not allowed God to break through, something would have happened to this church. They would have died on the vine. God didn't need them to finish his mission just like he doesn't need this church. Understand, God is going to do whatever he has to do to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Amen? But here's the thing. You and I, we will miss the great joy that comes with obedience if we don't do what God asks us to do. I want a part of that joy, amen? I want to experience the joy. I want to fully understand what God tells me to do, what God wants me to do, and I want to fulfill what God is asking me to do. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look at this Jerusalem council. Go to Acts chapter 15, and I want to begin at verse 4. Acts chapter 15, I want to begin at verse 4. It says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to, to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and, and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. 
For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This council, it met to discuss a spiritual foothold established among the Gentiles in Antioch. Simon Peter, he supported this outreach. Barnabas and Paul, they described what was happening there, gave a testimony. And finally, James also supported this new endeavor. And as you and I read throughout scriptures, we can understand that God's church is being built prophetically. Amen? The tabernacle was the place where God disclosed himself. It revealed the presence of God in the kingdom of God, which in the end time is the restored body of Christ. Now, after this, I will return. That's what God said, referring to Pentecost. That outpouring leads to rebuilding and restoring the church, and restoration leads to the ethne. We talked about that last week. That is people from all ethnic groups seeking the Lord. The implication from this passage in context with Acts 1-8 is that God wanted his followers to understand why he gave the Holy Spirit. It was for the purpose of action. That's what he gave it to us for. There's something about power. You know, I like what somebody said. If you look, you know, the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, Acts, Acts means what? Action, doing something. It's the book of action. It's the book of going. If you've ever read the book of Acts all the way through from beginning to, to uh, chapter 28, it just kind of stops. It just, it, it, it just ends. You're like, wait, that, you know, usually if you look at most, a lot of letters, there's some kind of end greeting. You know, there's some kind of ending there. The book of Acts, it just ends. You know why? You and I, this, our church, all of the churches, every part, Thank you, sir. We are fulfilling Acts chapter 29. That's who we are. We are fulfilling what God has called us to do. We are doing what God wants us to do. We are being the church that God's called us to be, and that's who we are. That's who we are to be. We are to be a church of action. Amen? We aren't supposed to just sit back and say, well, when they come, they come. It don't work that way. What did he say? He said, to go, whoa, wait a second. Go, you ever say, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go here. Someone ever asked you, where are you going on vacation? What do you say? I'm going to Florida or whatever, right? And what happens if you just sit at home? Do you ever make it to Florida? No. You can watch. You, you can sit at home. You can turn your TV on YouTube and, and, and show pictures of other people enjoying a vacation in Florida, but you're not going, are you? You're just watching. What did it say? It said, go and what? Make disciples. And now, and then that, that's in Matthew. Now look over at Acts chapter 1a. He said what? You will receive power to do what? Be my witnesses. 
You can't be a witness if you don't go. Correct? If if we don't make a decision to go and say something to somebody or to do something in love, have an action behind it, we're not ever going to fulfill what God is calling us to do or telling us to do. But God wanted his followers to understand why he gave the Holy Spirit. It was for the purpose of action. It was for the purpose of expanding the borders of God's kingdom all over the world. And by containing it in our own cultural framework, we disobey God. We cannot keep God in a box. We cannot say, well, we just want it for right God. We just want to hoard your presence. If you look all throughout history, we can see that those involved in missions have experienced power shifts like that described in Scripture for the church at Jerusalem. The Great Reformation of the 16th century, it gave birth to Protestant Christianity, but it did not launch any real missions zeal. Protestants were doing their best just just, uh, to just hold their own against Roman Catholic opposition. They did not have a ready-made mission force. But also their theology stood in the way of cross-cultural ministry. Martin Luther, for example, he was so certain of the imminent return of Christ that he overlooked the necessity of foreign missions. He believed the Great Commission was binding only on the first century apostles. And then there's also Calvinists. They followed a similar argument, but they also believed the doctrine of election eliminated or at least reduced the need for foreign missions since God had already chosen those he would save. Among Protestants, it wasn't until the 1700s that the Moravians, William Carey and a few others, began to see <coughs> excuse me, what God has always seen and felt for those who have never heard the gospel. They pushed from inactivity to becoming involved among the people groups who lived on the continental coastlands. And then next, people like David Livingstone and Hudson Taylor, they pushed from the coastlands to the interior, strategically targeting hidden people groups. Now, we know who's unreached. i got to tell you about something. Everybody got a smartphone? We almost all of us have a smartphone now, they don't we? I got a cool little app that I just downloaded this week. It's really, really cool. But it's it's uh, it's it's by the jo- Joshua Project, and it's an unreached it's an unreached people group of the day. Every single day, I can open this app, and it will give me an unreached people group of the day that I can read about them. I can see what what's going on. How if there's any. You know, what percentage is, you know, is, is evangelical? Like it tells me the percentage that's evangelical, the percentage that's Christian. Uh, like this one here that's here today, 0.02% is Christian and 0% is evangelical. And the population's 162,000 of them. And they're an unreached people group. And it will tell me, and I can pull this up, I can read about them, and then I can pray for this unreached people group 
but it's, the app is just called Unreached of the Day. It's a pretty interesting app. But see, we have resources now that we can pray for these groups. We can help find ways to support these missions efforts to go in and to reach these groups. Jesus wants us to help help fulfill the Great Commission. Christ will not return. God will not send Jesus back until everyone has heard. The message has to be heard by everyone. So you and I, we have a job that we have to do. We have to work to reach out. To these, I want to do my part to help finish the Great Commission. And someday when God looks at me, I want him to say, well done, amen? Well done. I want to do the part that he's told me to do. I want to give you five specific things that need to happen for us to finish the Great Commission. These are, these are things that I believe that it's, it's so important that we uh, make a part of our church here and then also other churches. I think this is so important. Number one, all churches need to come together. We have to move from local church competition to a movement of coming together. Amen? And I'm going to take it a step further and let you know that Christ did not intend for his bride to be at war with herself. We're not in fighting this, right? We're not in a battle of, 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 of fighting with one another. We are in a much greater battle than that. He has a role for each individual, for each congregation, each missions agency to play, and it's a cooperative role, not a competitive one. Now, think about, for example, and this is just something to think about, the results that could be accomplished for God's kingdom. If a group of churches, agencies targeted an unreached people group in a desert region, suppose maybe a national church could provide missionaries, two or three western churches could provide funding and and training, an agency agrees to dig wells, another provides projectors and screens for the missionaries, another provides the Jesus film, another provides Bibles and follow-up literature. Think about that. If, if, If all that was happening and going on, And then once the wells were dug, they become a a, uh, social hub for the region. The National Missionaries shows the Jesus film there, provides Bibles and discipleship materials. He or she meets with a group of converts on a regular basis and teaches them the principles of multiplication. And in a brief time, these individuals, these churches and agencies, they have established a self-replicating church planning movement within an unreached people group, and then they are free to move to another group. These kinds of results, though, are only possible in an atmosphere where actions demonstrate an atmosphere of cooperation rather than competition. Amen? We have to come together with one another. That's one thing that I love about all the missions efforts that our denomination puts forth. And, and you can hear about all these groups. And, and that's why we give to BGMC and we give to Speed the Light and we give to Light for the Lost. And, and we give to all these mission groups. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we do all those things. It's so that we can work together to fulfill the Great Commission. Second is we need missions mobilized churches. We must move from inactive churches to missions-mobilized churches. Now, what would a missions-mobilized church look like? 
this church it should engage in prayer on behalf of the whole world and also on behalf of at least three to five unreached people groups. We have to pray. Amen? We have to pray. And not just pray for our community, which we've got to make that an effort. We've got to pray for our community. We have to pray for our state. We have to pray for the countries surrounding us. And we have to pray for our country. And we have to pray for all these other, all around the world. You say, but that's a lot of prayer. It sure is. Lay me down to sleep's not going to work anymore. We have to pray. As a body of believers, we have to pray. We have to be on our hands and knees praying and crying out to God. This church should engage in prayer on behalf of the whole world and also on behalf of at least three to five unreached people groups. This church should be raising resources to fuel and fund the Great Commission movement. One of the things that Cliff Terrace does is every t- every, anything that you give that is marked tithe or not marked at all, we take 10% of that off the top and we give it to missions. We work to support missionaries that are called to go to areas where there are unreached people groups. We had one here a few weeks ago. Also, a missions-mobilized church should raise up career missionaries that will go into unreached people groups and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ told us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. God could be raising up a missionary in this congregation. We don't know who it may be. It could be one of our children. It could be one of our youth. It could be one of our elders. God is raising people up to be able to go into foreign lands and to be able to preach the gospel. God is raising people up to go into our own backyards and to preach the gospel. God is raising people up to go across state lines. You hear what I'm saying? We have to be willing to answer the call to go wherever God is sending us. This type of church should help other churches be mobilized for missions. They pass their vision along to other church leaders and enlist other churches in the task of building God's kingdom throughout the world through cooperative endeavors. A missions-mobilized church should network and partner with international indigenous churches, organizations, and individuals in the global Great Commission community. The third thing is we need to be strategic churches. We need to be a strategic church. It's important for us as a church to be a strategic church and not a reactive church. Reactive churches, they prefer the status quo. In reactive churches, if they change their program at all, they generally choose to simply adopt programs that were successful elsewhere. They are consistently in a reactive state rather than a proactive posture. They're surprised by events and, and by twists and turns and circumstances. Strategic churches, on the other hand, are planning for closure of the Great Commission. They hold the goal of reaching the world for Christ to be a priority command, not just a suggestion. Think about it. They might choose to give a larger portion of their budget to a missionary working among the unreached than to someone working in an area with local churches that have already been evangelized. Why do we need to be strategic? 
Because everything that we do is about people. God loves people. People matter to God. And since they matter to God, then what? They should matter to us. Amen? We need to do our part in reaching God's people. And it is going to take a strategy to reach them. So we need to put love into action. Four, missionaries with specialized skills. We must move from fostering general missionaries to fostering specialized missionaries. We can't just send willing, warm bodies. We, we, you, you just can't. You just can't say, well, this person's willing, so let's send them. They need to be trained. They need to be shown how they can reach and minister to other people. And the same thing is here. As a church, we need to train leaders to be who God has called them to be here in God's church. If you say, well, I don't know enough, then we need to train you. We need to help you to be who God wants you to be. One missionary group that I like to invest in is Chi Alpha Missionaries. And I'll tell you why. We, we support... There's at least four that I can think of off the top of my hand, head, hand, top of my head, <laughs> that we support. Four Chi Alpha mis- different missionaries at different Chi Alphas throughout the state. And let me explain why. Think about this. Students come from all over the world to get an education here in the United States. And then a Chi Alpha group reaches out to those international students and present the gospel to them while they are at the university campus. And then that newly saved international student, they go back to their country and they become a missionary to their homeland. All because they attended a university in the United States. You know, Kaiapha likes to call it missions in reverse. And there's that, so if you want to know why, it's not because they're just reaching college students, but it's because they're also reaching international college students that are at some point going to go back home and be a missionary in the home that they're going to. And we didn't have to go to them. They came to us. And the last one, number five, is expanding to new people groups. We must move from expecting growth only in existing outreaches to expansion within new groups. Statistics indicate that even if revival broke out in every church in the world, and if that revival never went beyond the cultures that already have churches, and I want you to listen to this number because it's staggering, then 3.14 billion people would still go without the gospel. Revival alone is not the only answer. Revival needs to produce equippers who understand God's strategy, and it is especially important that we also send missionaries to regions and to people groups where there is no church. We must preach in Jerusalem, but also to the ends of the earth, amen, among people who have not heard God wooing them into a relationship with him. Anybody ever heard Jonah? Know who Jonah was? Remember God told him to go to Nineveh? And what did he do? He said, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. They're awful. They're mean. They're terrible. And I'm not going. 
So what happened? He got on a boat. He started going as far away from Nineveh as possible. And as the farther, you know, the further he got, so the storm started raging. And the people on the boat got scared. And they said, and he said, hey, it's because of me. You need to throw me overboard. And if you throw me overboard, then you'll be saved. So they picked him up. They threw him overboard. And then a big old gigantic fish comes and eats him up. Then it doesn't swallow him. Well, I, I don't know. And then after he spent three days in that fish, it go and it spits him up on a beach somewhere. And he finally says, okay, you know, after, after being in a fish, that's a one way for God to get your attention, is it not? You ever thought about this? I mean, if you've ever been fishing, you know fish can get kind of smelly. Can you imagine being in the mouth of a fish? And this wasn't just any fish. This was a gigantic fish, you know. I mean, humongous, big enough to hold him there for three days and then spit him out. But, you know, in the, he started thinking why he's in this fish. Maybe I should follow what God's telling me to do. And so he spits him out on this shore. He, he, he decides to go and do what God's been telling him to do. And he's not happy still, guys. He's complaining the entire time. And so he goes, and you know what happens? The entire city gets saved. And, he's, and, and it's, if, you read the, if you read the book of Jonah, he, he's, he's like, See, God, I told you if I went, they'd all get saved. It's like, wait a second. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? You know? And, and, and so then he goes out and he throws a little pity party out in the desert and God punishes him. I mean, you can just see the punishment. Why? All because he had a direct order regarding missions and, and, and to go and to do what God had called him to do, but yet he chose not to, and so he experienced severe discipline. If we refuse to reach out, I want you to listen to me. If you and I, if we as a church refuse to reach out in all directions, taking God's love to our neighbors and to the darkest regions of the world, then we can expect the same type of training that, that Jonah got. But even beyond the desire to avoid discipline, if we spurn our Lord's direct command, then we, we will... We will disappoint our Father. That should be a motivation for our obedience. I don't want to disappoint the Lord. Anybody that's willing to give up his son for me, I want to do whatever I can for him. Amen? You know, the last words of Jesus were strategic and directed to the geographic and cultural targets of Jerusalem and Judea, the distant provinces of Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. You and I are called to reach all the global targets cited in Acts 1.8. And I want to read that verse one more time, but I want to read it from the Passion Translation. I like the way it says it. It says, but I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be filled with power, and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. We need to be seized with the power of the Holy Spirit 
and trust him to help us simultaneously impact all four parts of the world. Today, as a church, we're, we are supporting as a church missionaries from all four parts of the, of the world that Acts 1-8 mentions. In our city, we're supporting the local Chi Alpha group. We provide food to our, our county. We support the homeless in our area. In our own country, we support other Chi Alphas that are, that are uh, located in, in different communities. We support missionaries that reach out to athletes and the inner city youth of Denver. And around the world, we support missionaries that are living and working in areas that the gospel needs to go. We are doing something, but we can do more. And we must allow the Holy Spirit to work through each of us and through this church to complete and fulfill the Great Commission. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for this time that we can be here in this house. But God, help us to take this word to heart. Help us to take this word to heart. We have a job to do. You have called and you have asked each and every one of us to fulfill your great commission. We want to see it completed. Whatever it takes, whatever we have to do. Maybe it's more resources. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's sending out missionaries. Maybe it's uh, uh, making connections with other groups, doing our part, doing our, our portion of what it is that you have us to do so that we can be who you want us to be. God, I give you praise and I give you glory. And I ask that you do this work. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I want to ask if somebody could make sure our kids are headed this way. I want to talk just a moment. <clears throat> we went to camp this week. Um. We uh, left Monday, came back Friday, went to kids' camp. And uh, while we're at kids' camp, every, every year um, and every week of camp, on Wednesday they have a BGMC service that morning for all the kids. They talk about missions. And, the pro and they always have a project at kids' camp for the kids to raise BGMC money for. This week they are uh, raising money to uh, build wells in Africa and because uh, they don't have the drinking water like you and I have you know we can we can just we, we take advantage of it right uh, we, we take it for granted because we can go to a faucet put a cup under there and we're not worried about if we're going to die because of the water that we're about to drink right we because I mean we have clean water you know and then if we don't like the way that water tastes we've got filters that we can stick on that and filter the water and make it taste even better, correct? So, um, and so we have, so that's what they raise money for. And each week they had a goal. So, uh, no, it's building tabernacles. Sorry. They're building tabernacles in, uh, right? Tabernacles, that's what it was. $7,500 is all it took. So each week was a goal of $7,500 uh, to raise. So each week of camp, they raised over $7,500. Our week of camp, 
was $10,000. Each week was around $10,000. And then, so for a total of all four camps, they raised over $50,000 for BGMC to help build these tabernacles. I want us to continue to do our part. The kids are going to come. They're going to collect your change, any dollars, quarters, whatever you may have to help uh, missionaries all around the world. And this is something that's just simple for us to do, but it's amazing the impact that this this will do. So they're going to come around at this time. Huh? Yeah. <clears throat> He's shaking his parents down. He's shaking you down. Already, our church has raised. Uh, $1,700 for BGMC. Our goal this year is $3,000. Uh, so we're getting close. So every little bit helps us get even closer. And so every amount that you can give is appreciated. And uh, I also want to say, while we, we plug BGMC every month, Next month, the month of September, can you believe this is already August? Next month, the month of September, we are going to, uh, for two months, we'll be doing a special emphasis on Speed the Light in September and October and giving money towards our goal there to help our missionaries even further. Brand. Uh, do what God, Brand, you got more up here. Brand. Is there anybody else? We don't want to miss anybody. Can y'all give these kids a hand? No, they do a great job. Just throw it in there. I want to, uh, if we could all stand. I want us to pray over our offering ushers will be at the back of the service but you can place it in as you leave today and I want us to pray God we just come before you right now I pray that you bless this offering I pray that you bless each and every person that gives I pray that you'd help us to fulfill and do the work that you've called us to do to be who you've called us to be to go to the places that you've called us to go and help us to reach the lost those that are crying out that are in need of hope in need of help and that we can be the church to fulfill and to uh, complete the Great Commission. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Y'all be blessed this week. Be back here Wednesday night at uh, 7 o'clock.